Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Hello and welcome to SKUcast. My name is Mark Graham, one of the co-founders here at Common SKU, and I'm excited to introduce a new series that looks at supplier marketing. In this series, we will be interviewing prominent marketing professionals on the supplier side to uncover what it takes to market effectively within our industry. Supplier marketing professionals often play a less visible role compared to their sales colleagues. This is not entirely surprising, given sales is very much on the front lines of our business. This series is designed to uncover the personalities of our supplier marketers and to better understand the role that marketing plays in bringing promotional products to market. We kick off this series with an interview with David Clifton, CMO at Alpha Broder, currently the largest industry supplier by revenue. David is a career marketer, having worked at Dell Computer for several years before joining Alpha Broder to head up their marketing team in 2013. So as I mentioned in the intro, you spent many years at Dell, and I'm curious how you found the move from marketing computers to marketing t-shirts and bags. Uh, Sure. Yeah, I get the the question a lot, usually phrased something like, how'd you go from technology to t-shirts? You know, it's interesting, you know, you look at Dell... Dell was, you know, really not as much a technology company as it was a distribution company. And if you look at Alpha Broder, we're not as much a t-shirt company as we are a distribution company. So there's quite a few similarities between the two companies at, at the at the kind of at the real tenants of the company level, at the, at the value proposition level, if you will. They're kind of both formed around the idea of you've got to have the right products. You've got to have a lot of them from an inventory perspective. You've got to have those products accessible and available to customers when they need them. And it's got to be right. And those, those kind of four tenants really make up our value proposition at Alpha Broder. And they stem directly from what I put together at Dell in the early 90s around what we were going to do when we went to market and how we went to market. The other kind of similarities are, you know, I, I ran marketing for the small, medium business division at Dell in the early, in the early and mid 90s. You know, we were really servicing, you know, 13, 14 million small businesses in the country. A fast, highly fragmented, highly diverse customer base. Well, at Alpha Broder, we have over 80,000 customers, all fitting that kind of small, medium business description. So from a customer profile perspective, lots of similarities as well. So, it, you know, again, there's, there's obviously major differences in our, in our businesses, but at the, at the very core, kind of some of the core tenants are, are very similar. So I've been able to leverage a lot of what I learned at Dell and leveraged at Dell here at Alpha Broder. So one of the the key differences that that I see is that Adele, you're famous for selling direct to the customer, whether it was a consumer, small or large business or government. In the case of the promotional products industry, we famously have this uh, distribution channel where Alpha is predominantly selling to distributors, whether they're promotional products distributors or screen printers, decorators, so on and so forth. To, To me, Selling to a middleman, so to speak, versus directly to the consumer has 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 got to present some interesting differences. Absolutely, no. As I say, that you've you've nailed it. I mean, as far as the differences go, that's a big one. And so it really comes down to demand creation. You know, at Dell, it was all about send something out, generate a response, and sell something. 
here is about demand fulfillment for us. So right. demand is really created by our customer or more, most likely our customer's customer creates the demand situation. And so at Alpha Broder, we, you know, it's kind of retraining my mind a little bit around how, how to get your head around this. You know, you don't, you, you don't go out and run a promotion at Alpha Broder because it doesn't matter if we put a jacket out tomorrow that says it's a, it's a dollar. If you don't need 250 jackets, you're not going to buy it. But when you need 250 jackets, you're happy to pay $25 for it because you've already sold the jackets. So it's very different to be on the fulfillment side than the creation side. But, but in doing that, what we do is we prepare, we position ourselves with our customers to be that first call, first click. That's our objective here. As soon as demand occurs, we want that instinctively to be an alpha broader response. So we want our customers to know, again, back to the value proposition. We have the the products, we have a lot of the products, and we can get it to you accurately and when you need it. So it really is, it, that, that is the kind of the major difference between kind of marketing, pure marketing, and uh, at Dell and at Alpha Broder and, the, and in this industry, really, frankly. The other big difference is technology. This industry has been kind of slow to adopt technology. I will say over the last 18 to 24 months, it seems like it's picking up the pace really, really fast. And we're starting to see a lot of more technology solutions come to market, which will, again, increase the pace and increase the, the uh, success of our industry. So it's exciting to see that happening. David, you talk about this desire to be top of mind. What are some of the things that you do at Alpha in a marketing capacity to stay top of mind? And the reason I ask you this is from my distributor background, it feels like the way a lot of suppliers get orders is by sending their salespeople into distributor offices such that their pure visibility in the office at that particular moment means that the distributor will place an order with that supplier versus another. And to me, that feels ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not very scalable. No, it's not scalable at all. And I'm sure that someone like you in your position in the marketing side probably looks at things that are a little bit more efficient than that. So can you elaborate? Sure. Well, I will say, you know, you know again, back to kind of the, the marketing, from the way we approach it, we have kind of two channels. And, and one channel is, as you've identified, our sales organization. So they're a great marketing channel for us. The other one really is our customers. So one of the, one of the key ways we stay top of mind is we, want to, we really want to be our customers' marketing department. We want to provide them tools and assets in the form of photography and samples and all kinds of things to help facilitate their sales process. So we really view our customers as a, as a marketing channel, leveraging those guys, and, and they love it. They come to us all the time for different different assets. When I say assets, I mean like photography, different things they can use to promote their services and their, their offering to their customers. So that's, a, that's one of the key ways we, we stay top of mind is we, we actually become part of their sales process. We also do tons of communication day in, day out, always reaching out providing ideas, providing information, providing services to our customers and helping just to facilitate and streamline their go-to-market efforts. Right. And I, I think that one of the words you use there is, is this concept of integration. And you could be integrated from a technology perspective. You could be integrated from a communications perspective. There's all sorts of different ways. But I think that the more you're integrated with your customer base and the same goes for distributors and their end clients, then you're eliminating that friction. And when there's friction, you don't get the sale. When there's less friction, then people are more uh, inclined to work with you. So good on you for <laughs> for doing that. Yeah, we, you're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, the more you can become part of someone's solution, their go-to-market, and you become integral to, to how, they, how they succeed, you're, you're going to always be that kind of go-to resource for them. 
So I, I want to try to get a sense, David, for what the typical day for you looks like. And I like to ask that question as what projects are on your desk right now? Well, as you know, probably like everyone else, there are no typical days. Every day is different. Right now, sitting on my desk, literally Primeline. You know, we just we just came together at Primeline at the end of uh, 2017. And so we're doing a lot of work right now around, I wouldn't even call it integration, I'd call it collaboration around getting our customer databases pulled together and looking at who our shared customers and looking at their buying trends, things like that. So that's kind of a, that's an idea of a project sitting on my desk right now. But I would say that when, you th- when I think about my, my day or my time, I kind of split it into three buckets. I spend about a third of my time on the business, the day in, day out business. What, what's happening today, this week, you know, our quarter, kind of today. I spend a third of my time um, looking at the future, you're looking at that. What are we going to, what are we going to add to alphabet.com? What do we get from a feature functionality standpoint? What's our technology roadmap look like? What's our service offering roadmap look like? What's our 2020 product assortment look like? Things like that. And I spend the, the other, the last third of my time with customers on the road with our salespeople in, in our customers' offices. And I really, that's my favorite part of my job is to spend time with our customers because that's really where all the ideas come from. You spend 30 minutes with a customer and they're going to tell you 10 things you never thought of and you wouldn't have thought of sitting, you know, kind of separated from them. So it's a great way to learn what you're doing well, what you're not doing well, and what you didn't even know you weren't doing. So that's kind of the way I split up my time. Right. Can you tell me about the makeup and size of your team? I'm curious to to understand this because I think that you've got some suppliers that have got very small marketing departments. It may have no marketing department. It may just be the founder and you've got midsize. And then of course, alpha with being such a large supplier. I'm just, I'm curious to, uh, for you to unpack what that team looks like. Yeah. No, it's, it's about 25, 30 people and they're spread across now Bridgeport, Connecticut, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Toronto. And the, the, the makeup of the team is kind of four major four, four, four groups. One is communications. Back to the top of mind, communications team really does all of our daily communications, emails, social media. We have trade marketing. We, we prepare you know, presentations for our customers, all, the, all those kind of things we do day in, day out. There's a team that's in charge of communication. There's a team that runs alphabrower.com. So the alphabrower.com team is really in charge of overseas, the features and functionality of alphabrower.com the marketing and merchandising on, on alphabet.com, as well as the, our IT and technology roadmap. We have a, a group I call our platforms group, which really manages our catalog, our trade shows, and kind of the back end of alphabet.com, kind of all the mechanics of that, beginning with all the products launch and things like that. And then we have a marketing ops group, which oversees our, all of our analytics and as well as our database management. Those four groups really make up the marketing team. And then uniquely in my organization is also our decoration group, so when we acquired Ash City, Ash City had an embroidery service that they offered, and uh, we, we maintained that service. We kept it going. It's turned out to be a great solution for a lot of our customers, both promotional product distributors as well as decorators who get a large order, have overflow, and want to leverage our embroidery capabilities to kind of supplement what they can do. So I oversee that group, which is about a, about 100 folks or so. Right. Okay. I always love asking the, the, the question about the split between the art versus science of marketing. In your particular case, roughly how much is science and how much is art? Well, you know, given my background at Dell, I went in there as a, as a marketing artist and left a marketing scientist for sure. So science plays a, a big a big role. And I think more and more, I think, you know, again, in a lot of ways, Dell was out of its time. 
uh, marketing over the, over the last probably 10, 15 years has, has really moved much more into, into the science area than art, which I think is kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting and maybe not, maybe, maybe not great, right? Because the art part really is, is, is the magic of, of marketing. But for me, I, I try hard to balance it between kind of call it 50-50 art and science. If I had my druthers, it'd be 65-35 art science. Because I think the art is where you're going to find the really unique uh, ways to press buttons and to inspire or, or sort of you know, prompt folks in ways they didn't even think about. But with today's media and the way we go to market being so digital and quite so electronic, you know, you're, you're, it's hard to avoid the science. The science comes at you in a, in a lot of different ways. Used to in, in the olden days before all this, it was mainly art because you had a hard time really measuring things. Today, you can measure things quite well. And so you, you tend to obviously gravitate to those things that are, that are working. And so the science plays a pretty big role. Do you think you're at a disadvantage noting that you're primarily in the distribution business to to take a more artistic approach? Um, or I think an, another way of asking that question is because Alpha Broder is not manufacturing its own product, that you're um, more prone to take a scientific approach, whereas if you were actually making the shirts yourself and it was your brand, that you'd have a little bit more artistic license to celebrate that. Well, I mean, to, to, to be fair, we do. We, we actually have a lot of, we have nine of our own brands. So we, we do manufacture a lot of our own products. And so in, in that area, there's a bit more art to it. But I mean, I'm, I'm thinking from art to science is more the, 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 the media side of the go-to-market perspective. From a creative, purely creative standpoint, we definitely, we have, we have our own brands. We, we position our brands. We have the DNA of those brands. We spend a lot of time working on that positioning and working on you know, how we bring those brands to life. You know, there's there's quite a bit of art we do there, but I think as a distributor, I, I don't I don't I don't see us even with with products like uh, Hanes, Through the Loom, Gildan, Under Armour. We take the same approach of positioning those brands and working with those owners of the brands to make sure we have that positioning right. I, we we have a good mix of our own products and and other folks' products, so I think we treat them pretty similarly. And uh, yeah, so I think the art and science mix is pretty pretty consistent. Right. Well, and I appreciate that clarification. In the last five years, you started off as CMO at Alpha Broder. I think that when you had joined, uh, the acquisition of, of uh, Broder Brothers had already taken place. Is that correct? Yeah. We, when I joined, it was Alpha Broder NES. Just as I joined, we acquired Imprints Wholesale, then Ash City, then Bodick and Rhodes, and then Primeline. Right. Has your job from a marketing perspective changed as those acquisitions have come into the fold? And I think the answer is probably, of course, it's a silly question, but, but I'm just, I'm curious as to how these marketing departments have been absorbed into your orbit over the last couple of years and how that has evolved, how you think about marketing. Sure. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, every, every one of these, every one of these M&A opportunities is, is brought new folks to the, to the table, new folks to our, our business new capabilities, new products. So with all that comes a different lens to look at the way you go to market. And so it's been great. It's, it's, I've learned a ton. Um, every one of these acquisitions is different and they, they've all you know, kind of brought new talent to the team and new energy to the organization. So you know, again, my, the organization, the, 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 the setup of the organization, as I described it, the, kind of the, the, infra, the infrastructure, how it's, how it's organized, that's been the same the whole time. And I think that's helped a lot because it's new, but we've been able to work with the, the new folks and say, okay, what's your greatest strength? And we find a spot that they really can excel in and, and teach us something. So it's, it's, been, it's been great. I mean, I've, I've learned something on every one of these 
deals and it's done nothing but make, make us a lot smarter and just better as a team. I've, I've uh, had the opportunity to interview uh, Norm on two occasions, one when um, the acquisition or merger with uh, Bodok and Rhodes had taken place, and then more recently uh, with Norm and Jeff when uh, Primeline was uh, brought, into the, brought into the fold. And what's been clear to me is that Alpha makes these acquisitions based on culture. Um, if there's a good cultural fit, and obviously there's got to be some complementary work on the category side, but if the, if the culture fit is there, then it becomes a successful integration. So like that, that to me was always very apparent. I'm curious since Primeline, because what, 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 you, what differentiates Primeline from any of the other acquisitions you've made in the past is that while there may be the same cultural fit there, the products that they represent are dramatically different than what, than what you represent. Um, ha- has that been a unique challenge or opportunity in the in the last couple of months as you brought Primeline into the uh, Alpha family? Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. It's 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 really different. But again, I think you, you you nailed it. I mean, when we look at these opportunities, culture plays a huge role in it, and the the, the management teams and the organizations in total. Uh, we we really focus so heavily on that because at the end of the day, that's what's going to make or break. The, the deal, right? And so Primeline has been has been great. It's been a great learning experience for us, and we're still learning this kind of this side of the business. You know, and and, and that that's that is different. I mean, I think one thing we're doing. I mentioned it earlier. Integration. We usually do these integrations, and usually we're we're pretty good at it. I knock on wood because I know we're not done with these. So so far, we've had really just been very successful with the integration work we've done. But with Primeline, it's it's less of an integration and more of a collaboration, and it's more about you know. Just looking at look, finding the finding the opportunistic places where we intersect, and versus with a Bodic and Roads or Nash City, that was a wholesale, that was an immediate integration, right? Our systems were integrated immediately, the products were integrated immediately, and we were kind of within six six to nine months, we were running as one as a one company. Primeline's different. We're we're approaching Primeline, letting Prime, Primeline's going to stand on its own, and it's it's operating on its own. We're involved every day as teams, as as functional teams with Primeline. But it's less of a let's plug it into Alpha Broder, and more of a let's let's view this as another channel, another another channel to market. And so that's been, that's been a bit of a different approach than we've had in the past. But it's it's presenting the same kind of like cultural fits there, same kind of learning is there in the sense you get more smart people at the table, but you're going to have more more good ideas and more more things to do. So those pieces are consistent, but um, the the mechanics of running it are a little bit different than we've normally done. Yeah. And I, and I think that you're smart to be approaching it that way because, I mean, sure, the acquisition of Ash City is fairly straightforward if you think about it from the sales perspective. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a salesperson who's in a particular region or a particular territory and you're now introducing some additional jackets and polos and bags, it's pretty straightforward or relatively straightforward for an apparel salesperson to digest that information and present it in a cohesive way. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if you're te- if you're telling that apparel uh, regional sales manager to now go and learn all the great hard goods that Primeline brings to the table, then I, I would imagine you would have a pushback from the sales force. And then you may have a sales force that's not invested in it. And maybe they're grumpy because there's more for them to learn, right. which then means that the Primeline customer from the past is now receiving an inferior <laughs> experience than, uh, than they were before. So I, th- I think you're actually quite smart in, uh, in the rollout there. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right, and we, we we're approaching it. And again, I think the one thing that's consistent, as well as a culture in all of our acquisitions and all of our deals, 
is we, we always, and this, this may just sound trite, but, it, but it's actually very, very true. The one thing we do is we put the customer at the very top of the list. The customer be- remains and becomes the number one priority in these integrations because it, it, we have a golden rule, as we call it, to exceed customer expectations at all times. And in, in other words, if at any time during one of these integrations, we ever get a sense that we're doing something that's going to create a weird or, or, or disruptive customer experience, just like you were just describing, like asking someone that has only sold apparel for the last 15 years to suddenly walk in and be an expert at every hard good. That doesn't make any sense, right? So we, we, we stop short of, we stop ourselves short of doing it. And, and we, and we have a, you know, the golden rule is that, and then we have sort of this culture inside of Alpha Broder that anyone can kind of pull the emergency stop on anything, anytime. And okay. there is no, there is no, there's no hierarchy. There's no rule there. It's like if you ever see anything that, that appears or it looks like it's going to be or could be or might be disrupted to the customer, pull the cord, raise your hand, scream, do whatever, but stop everyone and let's just catch our breath. That, in my experience over the last five years, that has been kind of one of the, one of the more unique uh, aspects of Alpha Broder is the culture of communication, of, the, of anyone being able to raise their hand and say, hold on a second, this doesn't look right to me. And then really how much that's appreciated by all of us, because all of us, no matter what role you're in, can get so focused on something that you lose perspective. And having a culture where people are not only empowered to do that, but encouraged to do that has really, I think, saved our saved our, our hide many times. Right. And I think that's unique with an organization at your size, right? It would be maybe understandable, potentially not excusable, but that at your size with all the different departments you have that you know, you keep your head down and people don't listen. So I, yeah. that, that that's that's encouraging to hear. I think that's actually an interesting segue into in, into um, a, a question about supplier size. So if I'm listening to this episode right now, David, and, and I'm a small supplier founder and I'm looking to bring on my first marketing professional, I'm looking to bring on David Clifton into my five to $10 million supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no other resources. You are the one person. What does your job look like in that environment when you are the a marketing department of one? Like, what are the some of the things that you would prioritize as you started that job? Um, I, I would probably prioritize the data, getting getting my hands around our, who our customers are, either current or, or or potential or targeted. Really understanding, being really fluent. And who my customers are, and 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 how to, and, and then beginning to work on how to reach out to them, how to communicate with them, and how to again put myself in front of them, if not physically, virtually every day. If you're an army of one, you've got to pull together the key weapons, if you will, you know, that you're going to go to market with. And I think the first one I would start with is customers, understanding who they are, and then who we want them to be. Because if you're an army of one, you obviously have 24 hours and seven days a week, and that's it. And so you can prioritize your time and make sure that you're spending time and any minute, you, any, any time you spend is spent efficiently. So therefore understanding who you want to talk to and is the most kind of one of the most important things you can do. Right. That's interesting advice because I think that what you see on in small business, um, and I think you see this in bigger business too, but as, as entrepreneurs grow their business at the smaller end of the spectrum, 
oftentimes when they reach that five to $10 million level, they have a number of customers, but it's almost as though those customers can, can be all over the place. And they're not necessarily uniform. Like you've built, you've attracted customers, you've sold to lots of different people. And all of a sudden you've got this hornet's nest <laughs> of customers that some of whom are ideal customers, some of whom are not so great. And I think that to your point, by really understanding who they are, it allows you to prune, allows you to focus, allows you to hone that value proposition and double down on that segment that's really delivering the, the, the value for your business. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, all, as we all know, all customers are not created equal. Yeah, so it's, it's really important. I think, especially at those sizes, to know exactly who you want to go after, and, and again, you know, find that ideal customer and, and work from that. Just a couple of uh, kind of macro questions, uh, David. Here before we wrap up, I'm curious for you to talk a little bit about the global trends that excite you, that impact the promotional products industry, and how about the trends that scare you. Well, one thing, one thing that, that really excites me is that, I, and I, again, I, I, I look at this sort of, you know, you said macro, and that's 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 the approach. You know, you look at media in general. You know, the the faster things go, and the more digitized everything becomes, I think the more relevant what we do in the promotional product space becomes as a media. And I, I say that because you know you can't fast forward a T-shirt, right? You know, so what we do, we dimensionalize brands, we dimensionalize brands, we extend brands. And I think the, the the faster and the and the more like I said the more digital and the more faster and everything's going so quick and it's all online it's coming at you the more impactful a garment is the more impactful a t-shirt is the more impactful a jacket is the more impactful a, a thermos is you know and more impactful a speaker is something's going to sit on your desk something's going to be with you these things dimensionalize brands and brands today I think are just they're morphing they're they're kind of be, they're coming becoming the background and these they are products and what we do in our in our industry. You know, like I said, it, it, it makes them tangible. It makes a brand, puts a brand in your hand. So you think about the, the music industry. It, it, it's kind of come full circle. The, the, the music industry started out with people performing. That's how they made money. Then they, then everything got recorded. They got recorded and they got on DVD and CDs and all this other stuff. And, go, and now it's come back full circle, back to how do bands make money? They go perform. That's why all these bands are out doing all these concerts because they, they don't make any money selling songs on iTunes. They make money by performing. Well, I think media is kind of going this to the same thing. Media has kind of gone from, you know, the I mean, promotional products were the were, were, were some of the very first media out there, you know. And so now you've got media has gone through this whole cycle of digitizing and becoming this sort of very fast moving, very hard to be nailed down, coming at you a thousand miles an hour thing. I think that as it comes back around full circle, the promotional product industry plays a critical role in media. And that's, that, to me, that's super exciting. And we see it, you know, every day. Yeah, absolutely. How about how about the trends that scare you? The the ones that threaten not only alpha but our but our industry as a whole. Well, you know, I don't know. Not not a lot really scares me. I think uh, and I think you know, there's a lot murmur and a lot of rumbling about Amazon and things like that. But I, I think what actually is encouraging about that, what Amazon's all, all Amazon's doing is really just exposing, I think, where some inefficiencies in our supply chain. And what that's going to do is going to make us more efficient. And so I think, you know, you know, I mentioned earlier technology. I think, you know, one of the things that the industry's, I think, been slow to do is adopt technology. Um, and Comsky is a great example of what you guys are doing. You know, you guys are the intersect. You're intersecting, you know, technology in our, in our industry and finding new ways to present opportunities and intersect opportunity with execution. So I think that these macro trends that people are kind of worried about, I mean, sure, if you, if you don't, if you're not reacting to it, if you're not looking at what's going on and, and trying to adjust your business to make it more efficient, to make it more streamlined, to increase your value add, yeah, you should be really worried because you're going to be exposed. 
But to the degree you are doing those things, I think it's super exciting. And I, I see technology really getting a foothold in our space, which is only going to make it more relevant to our customers and our customers' customers and more accessible. You already see the accessibility growing like crazy with people like Custom Inc., uh, you know, going to market. And all of a sudden, consumers are now kind of in our fold. It's amazing to see the vastness of our how our, our industry is really just spread to everyone. So it's, uh, to me, it's super exciting. Yeah. And I, I think it's just all in your mindset, right? You mentioned Amazon, you're, you mentioned all these potential threats, but I've always believed that with every shift, with with every macro change, there will be winners and losers. And to your point before, that if, you're, if you have a kind of that timeless mindset about how it is that you bring value to the table, how you're reinventing your business, that's not a 2018 thing. That's just a timeless view. Correct. That's and right. It's just all about how you ride the wave. And some people get tired and they don't want to ride the wave anymore and they want to sit back and they want to take the easy business. And fair enough, maybe you can't blame them for that. <laughs> but, right. but there's all sorts of other people that are prepared to go out and ride that wave and reinvent themselves. And you know, I could certainly imagine that you've done that in your career. So Certainly, yeah. When, when you think about, when, I mean, again, I, I think of Amazon. When you think of all the things that our customers, we see our customers day in, day out. We talk to them every day. All the things our customers do for their customer, there's no a. Amazon has no interest in doing that, and there's no way they could if they wanted to. Amazon will maybe scrape off, you know, a layer of, of, of business that probably most of our customers don't even want, which is that kind of turnkey, low end, cheap, simple business. But the business our customers really enjoy and really are good at is something that Amazon can't touch. But that being said, our our customers' customer, the end user, is going to say. Why is this taking so long? Why is it so expensive? And why is it a better quality? And our customers, to answer those questions, we have to address inefficiencies of our supply chain. You know, I think we're doing that. I'm seeing, we're seeing our customers begin to adopt that by integrating with us at, at the EDI level, you know, and, and things like this to streamline purchasing and things like that so that, that we can all operate more efficiently. But to me, that's super exciting. And, and you're right, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset. Our mind is certainly set on, on, on riding the wave and being on top of it. I think it's really great that you as CMO are out visiting customers because I don't, I don't know how common that is. I'm not saying necessarily just within this industry, but how common it is for a senior marketing executive to, to be out in front of customers as much as, as much as you are. Um, what are some of the most surprising things distributors have said to you while you're on these sales visits? Anything that's really sort of surprised you about their model or about end client demands or just things that have uh, made you really think? Well, I, I, what, what strikes me, and, it, and it's fairly consistent, it, what struck me, I should say, and it, it, was, it was surprising then but not so much now, is just, it's just the versatility of these guys. You know, we look at, you know, you, you try to segment things and try to you know, put things in buckets and compartmentalize stuff. And these guys really are, they're, they're service providers, you know, and you think all you're doing is putting a logo on a cup or a, a jacket or wait, what are you doing? But they're, they're really doing so much more to service their customers. That's why I was saying before, you know, this, this Amazon threat is really, I mean, unless, unless we just completely all fall down, it's not really a threat because what our customers, what our customers do every day, the versatility, the agility they demonstrate day in, day out was really amazing for me to see. And, and again, it, it, it's when, when visiting these guys, it's really about Viewing that, and, and they're they're constantly coming in with, hey, if you could if you could provide this piece of information, or if you could change the way the manifest comes, it would save me 
X amount of minutes per box we have to unload if you're a decorator. I mean, so just some of these things that, that again, you know, and I, I view marketing in a pretty broad way. Every touch I consider a marketing opportunity, every box we deliver, every shirt we obviously deliver, every piece of apparel, it's a touch point. So to me, in, in the marketing organization, nothing's off limits. And, and so we take all that input and, and bring it back in and apply it all the way through the organization. Well, and I, I, it's such an interesting re- response because I imagine you coming into the industry five and a bit years ago, David, from from Dell, is that you may have been maybe unsure about these distributors, <laughs> given that you were selling direct and like, what kind of value are these distributors actually uh, doing and, and, and getting in front of them? Uh, clearly, I don't, I don't not say changed your perspective because I'm not suggesting you came in with a negative view of distributors, but it may have broadened your horizons about this different type of customer segment. Well, interestingly enough, you know, I, I did kind of two tours of duty at Dell. I was there in the early 90s through 2001, and I left for five years, went back in 2006 for another six years. During the time I was gone, I actually was CEO of a promotional product distributorship in Austin. Oh, really? And, okay. Yes. Named Hotlink. And okay. Hotlink was sort of the predecessor to Boundless, which is a, a great customer of ours, a great distributorship today, based on the same technology we we had at Hotlink. So I did that for two years. And so I was actually, well, when I came in this, this role, I had been our customer. And so sitting in the seat I am now, I certainly have a great appreciation for what these guys are going through day in, day out. So I knew kind of what I was getting into. And I also knew that what a great opportunity on the, from the supply side, because as, as a distributor, you spend most of your time, you know, just wanting to work, work with your, work, wanting to work seamlessly with your supplier to have that be the perfect relationship, so you can fulfill your everything your customer needs seamlessly. I had a great appreciation for it, but I've, I've got even a greater one now with over eighty thousand customers. I've talked to thousands of distributors. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm taken aback by the, the service level that they provide and what, what they do to ensure kind of the satisfaction, and it, it's, it's great to see. Well, David, thank you so much. This was a really interesting conversation. Uh, and it's always just fascinating to look a little bit more at the marketing profession. It's one that I've always really enjoyed myself and I've just been fascinated to see how that unfolds on the supplier side. So uh, what a great representative of the profession. So thank you so much, David. Thank you, Mark. I really enjoyed it too. Appreciate it very much. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.